0: Good morning everyone. everyone. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box and I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Midtown Church. I'm so glad that you have joined us this morning. We uh, continue the series that we started two weeks ago that we're calling uh, Meals with Jesus. And uh, we get to continue that series with our good friend, uh, Terry the Pterodactyl, we're here, still here. If you were here last, last Sunday for our Easter service, we got to see this awesome dinosaur scene behind us that Lee Elementary provided for us. And uh, I love that it's still up. It just cracks me up. It's one of the uh, quirky things about getting to meet in an elementary school. We just never know what kind of backdrop we're going to have. And, uh, but this is special. So anyways... I'm excited about this series that we've been uh, in the last couple of weeks. If you weren't here the first week of the series, um, let me uh, just explain to you why we're doing this, this, uh, these talks on the meals with Jesus. You see, it's because um, there's only three times in all the Bible that uh, Jesus says and begins a sentence with this statement, The Son of Man came. The Son of Man came. Now wait, this is important because the Son of Man was Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself, to talk about himself. It, it was a way of, uh, that he, he described himself going back to Daniel chapter 7 uh, in the Old Testament where Daniel describes this, this person, the Son of Man, that would come before God the Father. And he would receive from the Father uh, a sovereign rule over and glory from all the nations. And so when Jesus would use this title, Son of Man, it was a way to refer to himself as both his humanity and his deity. It was his favorite way to refer to himself. And all that's important just because when he says this statement, the Son of Man came, it's very significant. And he only says it three times. The first is found in in Mark 10, verse 45. He says it this way. He says, The Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, that's a statement about purpose, why he came. Then in Luke 19, verse 10, he says this. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Again, that's a purpose statement. This is why I came. He's saying this. But it's interesting, the third time he uses this phrase, the son of man came, listen to what he says. He says, the son of man came eating and drinking. Isn't that interesting? Son of man came eating and drinking. First two, statements of purpose. This is why I came. But the third one is actually a statement of how or methodology. How did he come? Well, he came eating and drinking. And when if you read through the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts of Jesus' life, you'll see that so much of his ministry, so much of his, uh, of his teaching was done around a meal. Or even, as we saw in the first week, through a meal. We looked at the Passover meal, we explained like the whole purpose of his coming. And then last week we saw that Jesus uses a meal to, to offer restoration of relationship with one who severely wronged him. That that meals were a way that Jesus actually enacted grace. It's a way that Jesus would seek to save the lost. It's the way that Jesus would serve and not instead of being served. I mean it, it's meals were so crucial to how Jesus came. So we said, okay, let's do this series where we're looking at these meals with Jesus so we can learn so much more about our Savior, who he is, why he came, what he has to say. And so this morning, we're going to continue that theme, and we're going to look at a passage from Luke. If you want to go ahead and go there, you can. We're not going to get to it for a minute, but it's Luke chapter 7, and we're going to pick up in verse 36. But in this meal, we're going to see how This meal that we're looking at, we're going to see how over this meal, Jesus shows us how we will relate to him. How we will relate to him if or when we truly grasp who he is and how he relates to us. In this meal, we're going to see how we will relate to Jesus if or when we grasp who he is and how he relates to us. Now, okay, before we get into it, though, Oh, let's have a little fun, okay? Let me ask you a question. Did uh, Have you ever had anything like really shocking happen to you over a meal? Like so, something happened in a meal that just made that meal like just burn it in your mind, like just super memorable? Uh, I ask because the passage we're going to look at, there, there's something incredibly shocking that happens in this meal that Jesus is having with this religious leader. And I guarantee it, it, it just caused... This meal to just be seared in this religious leader and everyone else's, all the guests, all their minds. They just would ne- never forget it. And so I've been thinking this week about like, hey, have I ever had some meals where this something crazy happened, shocking happened, and just made this thing just, uh, I will never forget this meal. And I actually it turns out I have quite a lot of those stories, and many of them are inappropriate to share. But one of them <laughs> was my favorite. I think it's my favorite. what happened when Krista and I were on a date to Papacito's. Uh, the pop seat is up on 35, and, um, and before I tell the story, you got to know this about me. Um, I, <laughs> I love doing things just for the story of it. If I can get a good story out of it, it's worth doing, and uh, even more, I love getting other people to do stuff so that I could get a great story out of what they did. I, I think I read The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn at a time where I was a little bit too impressionable, and like that really impacted me, but like... Um, <laughs> on this night, Chris and I are on a date at Popsito's, and um, those tables there, have you ever noticed? they're just so close to each other. I mean, they're really close to each other. And so we're eating dinner, it's near the end of our meal, and um, the people next to us, they get their food, and they had ordered fajitas, and they got, you know, all the fajitas, they got the tortillas. And the tortillas are just right next to where Krista's sitting. So she's sitting at this table, and their table's right, and the tortillas are just right here. And I, I just happened to dare her. And I think that there might have been a, like, some money involved, a friendly wager. But I, I said, Chris, I dare you to reach over and steal one of their tortillas. But it wasn't just that. So you had to steal one of their tortillas. But when you get it, you have to hold it with both hands. And you have to, without breaking eye contact, take a bite of that tortilla and chew it and swallow it. And then turn back to me, and only after you do that can then you turn around and tell them why you did that and i don 't remember how much money was on the line, but for it's <laughs> she decided to do it primarily primarily because my wife is awesome, and so she <laughs> she 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 takes she turns around, she grabs this tortilla, and she like just I mean, just like, I mean, they did not know what to do. I mean, they're just staring at her. And she just is staring, chewing this thing. And, I mean, and she turns around, and she turns back to him, and she says, hey, okay, you know, here's it. she explains it to him. And they have this, like, this really, like, awkward laugh, right? Like, super, like, like uncomfortable laugh. Like, yeah, you're, you're super weird, right? And then we quickly paid and left, right? It was so awesomely awkward. I mean, it was worth Every penny that I think I bribed my my wife to do this for. And so, but even, makes it even more funny is that on the, uh, when, we, when we leave, Krista posts about it on Facebook. And like immediately one of her Facebook friends <laughs> contacts her and says, I know the people whose tortilla you stole. And that she, they had a mutual Facebook friend. The way that she knew is because that couple that she stole a tortilla, they had immediately posted about what just weirdo had just stolen a tortilla and like stared them down whenever she was buying. And so they ended up connecting over Facebook, Krista and that couple. And all, I mean, it was hilarious. And I guarantee they've never forgotten that meal and neither have Krista or I. And I think, you know, tie it all together here. If, if Jesus... If you were to ask him, hey, tell me, tell me the most shocking thing that ever happened to you during a meal. Well, I think that he would point to the one that we are looking at today. Because what happened here also would have just caused this event to just be seared in the minds of everyone who witnessed it. Because here's what happened. In this story, Luke chapter 7, verse 36, I'll read in a minute. But here, just give you kind of context. Jesus is invited over. To a, uh, to a Pharisee's house. And uh, he's invited over to have dinner. And, and for those who don't know, the Pharisees were religious leaders of, that, of the Jewish uh, community. Uh, they, had a, they had a lot of power. They had a lot of political power. And they uh, just honestly thought that they were better than everyone else. I mean, they looked down at everyone else. They thought they were more godly than everyone else. And the Pharisees hated Jesus. I mean, they, they just like vehemently Uh, opposed Jesus. Which is one of the reasons why this story is very intriguing. Because one of them, a Pharisee, and we find out in the story, his name's Simon, he invites Jesus over for for dinner. And that's highly significant. I mean, that would be important nowadays, but we've been talking in this series, like in that time, the offer of uh, invitation for dinner meant even more than it does to us today it it was an offer not just to share a meal but actually an offer of relationship and to to accept an offer and to actually have dinner with each other share a meal with each other was a pledge of friendship and so here you have this pharisee simon invites jesus over for dinner and as you guys you have to understand like that was wild because the Pharisees hated Jesus. In fact, there's only one other time in all of the gospel accounts that we see a, a Pharisee seek out Jesus to have a conversation with him. It's found in John chapter 3, a guy named Nicodemus. And if you're familiar with that story, you know that Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night, in the cover of darkness, secretly, because he doesn't want anyone to see that he's having a conversation with Jesus. But here in this passage, in Luke 7, you have Simon, the Pharisee, Actually, extend an invitation to Jesus to come have dinner with me. And to do so, was like it was he was braving scorn from his peers, perhaps even persecution from his peers, his family, his friends. But why would he do this? Well, because Simon was a serious seeker. A Simon. He had a burning question. And his question was, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? I mean, if you're, if you're familiar, like up to this point, Jesus had been doing miracles. He'd been teaching in this like really authoritative way. People, crowds were gathering. People were intrigued. Some were talking about Jesus perhaps being the Messiah. And here's Simon who's like, you know, it's not, it's definitely frowned upon by his friends for him to even consider that, and yet he's still willing to offer dinner, an invitation to Jesus. I want to know who you are. He was a serious thinker with a burning question. Who is Jesus? And now, I love this. Jesus, he comes to this dinner. And it's just a statement of Jesus' grace. I mean, he, like the people who oppose him, the most intolerant people in, in all of Jerusalem. And Jesus says, hey, I'm not intolerant of the intolerant I'll come, yeah, I'll come, I'll have dinner with you. So he shows up, and he has dinner. And during this dinner, something crazy happens, something wild, something shocking happens. Let me read it for you. Verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, now time out, that uh, statement: a, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. And the Greek is literally a woman of the city, and a sinner, which was a which was if anyone's familiar with the, the Greek pneumatic uh, phrases, like this is a statement that you could just read as she was a prostitute. That's who she was. So you could read verse thirty-seven this way: a woman that was a prostitute learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and so she came there with an alabaster jar. Of perfume and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping okay getting a little weird she began to wet his feet with her tears and then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them see what I mean that would have been a little bit weird would not it like that, that would have been a meal to remember, like flour tortilla memorable right there. Whenever you get this woman who shows up at this meal and just starts crying and gets, gets down on her knees and is like kissing Jesus' feet and wiping perfume on his feet, like what in the world's going on? Now, it's helpful to kind of picture like how this could have happened, so let me set the scene for you a little bit just to kind of put us there and kind of be able to picture this. Um, Luke's description of this meal was that of of like a a Greco-Roman symposium, which was a meal followed by an extended discussion uh, and uh, the diners at these meals would recline around three sides of a, a central table on catches, leaving the fourth side open to allow servants to access the table, bring food to the table. And diners would lay, and this is kind of key to picture this, they would lay in like this reclined, semi-reclined position with their legs out behind them, okay? And so like they'd be face towards the table, legs out behind them. Here's a picture of what it kind of maybe sort of looked like. I don't know if you're going to be able to see that real well, but that's, that's you know gives you a concept. Now, it's also helpful to know that in the homes in the time of Jesus, especially large homes, uh, which this Pharisee would have had, again, a very big big guy, religious leader, political leader in the, in the town, well off, he had uh, he, those kind of homes. His large homes had semi-public areas. And so some rooms opened into a courtyard that outsiders could enter. And so at a formal banquet like this, there would have been a lot of people walking around. And not just the servants who would have been walking up to the table, but also people from the courtyard, from the public area, who could walk in and, and sit and, and see what kind of food was being served and listen in on the conversations that would that they would be having with each other, and so as a result, it it wouldn't have actually caught. This woman would not have actually caught many people's attention when she walked up, because first of all, Jesus' feet are behind him, and they're all looking at each other around the table. And then uh, there's so many people moving around, anyways, and so she she starts crying, but probably no one's noticed. It's loud. People aren't looking around. But then she kneels down, and we say, Luke tells us she, she undoes her hair, and she begins to wipe, wipe Jesus' feet with her hair, to wash his feet, and then kiss his feet. And when she starts touching Jesus, I guarantee you everybody noticed. I and mean, everybody just probably got, like, could hear a, a pin drop, just super still. And they look at this woman, and here's what we're told. That Simon says when he looks at this woman and sees this. Verse 39. It says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Okay. This is the thought that goes through Simon's, the Pharisee's mind. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman. Now, like, think about this for a minute. Why is that the thought that goes through his mind? Like, if I'm sitting at this dinner, a hundred different thoughts go through my mind. That one wouldn't be the first one. I would be thinking, okay, wait, what's going on here? Who, who who is this woman? What well, does Jesus know know her? Why is she crying? I mean, I'm, think, I'm thinking lots of different things, all kinds of questions. But notice where does Simon go with this question? He goes straight to an identity question. Why does he go straight to identity? Jesus's identity. Again, guys, it's because Simon was a serious seeker. He set this dinner up because he had one really burning question. Who is Jesus? And when this whole thing went down, he felt like he was getting a conclusion to his answer, he was, he, to his question. He thought he was getting an answer. He said, okay, I thought maybe Jesus was a prophet, but clearly he's not. Because if he was a prophet, then there is no way that he would not know who this woman is or if he is a prophet there's no way he would let this woman touch him knowing who she is that that would make him impure that would make him unclean there's no way that this guy is a man of god that's what he, the conclusion he begins to draw but Jesus knows that that's what Simon's thinking and when, it's not clear, when, so Simon says to himself, but it's not clear if he's like said that, mumbled that to himself, or if he just thought that to himself. But either way, Jesus, knowing what's going on, having he heard him or having just, you know, knowing what he's thinking, Jesus says this in verse 40. He says, it says, Jesus answered him. Simon, I have something to tell you. Now, <laughs> real quick, I love that it says Jesus answered him. You think answered him? Like, did he ask a question? He didn't ask a question. Simon had just drawn a conclusion. What does he mean? Jesus answered him. But see, Jesus understood that the whole reason that he had been invited over to have dinner with Simon was because Simon had a major question. Again, who is Jesus? And so here, as Simon's about to draw a wrong conclusion about who Jesus is, now Jesus answers him. Jesus answered him. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon says, tell me, teacher. Verse 41. And Jesus shares a powerful story that lets Simon know who he is. He says this. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, to put that in modern-day context, that'd be about the equivalent of someone owing $100,000 and someone else owing $10,000, all right? It says, now, verse 42 is very key. They both owe, verse 42 says, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he goes on, I love this, verse 44. Then he turned towards the woman, but kept talking to Simon, said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you. Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay. What was Jesus' answer to the seeker's question? Put another way, what was the Savior's answer to the seeker's question? He says, Simon, you, you think that I'm a prophet, or now you think because of this woman that I'm not even that? Well, you're trying to figure out who I am, let me tell you who I am. I'm the one you owe. I'm the one you owe. I'm the money lender in this story. I'm the one that you owe and you cannot pay back. But I'm also the one who has come to pay the debt that you could not pay. To cancel your debt so you can be reconciled to God. That's who I am. And he makes that clear by following that story up with this These verses here, what he says about the woman. He says, hey, Simon, look at this woman. And I get, during this whole deal, this woman is like still washing Jesus' feet. I mean, it's just, it's wild. If you can picture the scene just still happening, playing out before their eyes. He says, okay, look, do you know why this woman is doing this? And I love this. He says... To Simon, this great religious leader who's supposed to you know knows the scriptures backwards and forward and be like super close with God and have all the answers. And he says, you have this major question about who I am. This prostitute, this sinner, as Simon, you would call her. She knows the answer to the, your question. She's already figured out what you have yet to comprehend. She gets who I am. And that's why she has responded to me in this way. That's why the tears. That's why the service. That's why the perfume. It's because she knows that she has a debt that she can't pay. And she knows that I've come to forgive her her debt. She knows she owes me. But she also knows that I'm here to cancel the debt that she owes. That's who I am. Simon, I'm the one you owe. Because I'm your creator, God. See, in Scripture, we, we see that sin, sin has, it, it, is, is the things that we do that are ultimately offenses against God himself. That when we, God created us, He created us to be with Him. And He created us to represent Him, to reflect His character, the way that we interact with one another and the world. All of creation was, was meant to give everyone a picture of what God is like. But when we act selfishly, when we reject God, when we live for ourselves, when we hurt others or we hurt God's creation, all of that slanders the name of God. For we, as his image bearers, are doing a poor job reflecting what he is like. And that, that slanders God's name. Ultimately, all of our sin are offenses against God himself. And so every time we do each other wrong, we do each other wrong, but we also do him wrong. And as to use Jesus' parable here, what that is, does is that it builds up a giant debt between us and God that we owe him and we can't pay him back no matter how hard we try no matter how good how many good things we do it doesn't cancel that debt that still stands there we've still slandered the name of God we still owe a debt that we cannot pay all of us are Maybe, hopefully, maybe not all of us, but but probably a lot of us know what it's like to be under uh, financial debt, right? You feel the weight of that, whether it's credit card debt or medical debt or student loans, right? Amen. And uh, you just feel the pressure of that it's like always on your mind and it just it's like this this giant burden that you carry with you and you hope that one day maybe maybe i can crawl out of that pit i can crawl out of that debt i can pay that off and what a glorious day that would be but, god, but jesus says saying, hey what you have between you and god between you and me is you have a debt that's even a bigger burden And without hope. Because you can never do anything to pay off this debt. You owe me. You always will. That's who I am, Simon. She gets that. But that's not all that I am. I'm also the one who's come to cancel the debt. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't say here how he's going to cancel the debt, but, but in, in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses 13 and 14, we are told how. In that passage, it says, When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. That he forgave us all our sins, having, hear this, canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us he has taken it away nailing it to the cross see salvation here is seen as forgiveness of a debt forgiveness of a debt always means someone pays If a debt is forgiven, that that just means the debtor doesn't pay. But instead, the creditor has to absorb that. They're the one who has to pay. You know, a 100,000 debt does not go up into thin air. Either the person who owes it pays or the person who is supposed to be paid goes without. And Jesus says the only way for anyone to know God is if I pay your debt. And so that's what he did on the cross. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. By paying for our sins himself, when he was nailed to the cross and forsaken by the Father in our place. we, We had a debt we could not pay. But he paid our debt that he did not owe. Simon has this question, hey, who are you, Jesus? And through the events of this dinner and the story, he tells him, Simon, I'm way more than you think I am. See, I'm not just a prophet who's come to tell you how to live. I'm actually your creator, God, that you owe because you failed to live the way I've told you to. But I'm also the one who's come to make a way for your debt to be canceled so you can be forgiven and reconciled to me. That's who I am. I've come as your savior. Guys, let me ask: Do y'all know that that's who Jesus is? Do you? I mean, do 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 you really know that that is who Jesus is, and that that is what Jesus has done for you? Uh, Do you realize that your need for Jesus is the same that that? prostitutes was and that Simon's was. You know in that story Jesus Jesus says okay there's one that owes 500 and one that owes 50 and and you might think okay well that you know not everyone is 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 bad. I mean certainly there are people who are worse than I am. But what's important in that story is that Jesus says okay it doesn't matter if you owe 50 or 500 no one has the ability to pay. No one does. Cuz do you recognize that that's That's our standing before God apart from Jesus. If you get this, if you get that this is who Jesus is and that this is your need for Jesus and that this is how Jesus has come to relate to you, what he's come to do for you, then you will love him much. He, in this story, he says, he who's forgiven little loves little. But he who's forgiven much loves much. And in this story, again, Jesus says to Simon, one of the best lines in the whole passage. He says, Simon, look at this woman. Look at this woman. He says, when you look at this woman, friends, when you look at this woman, you see her response to Jesus does her response seem just crazy to you? Or is there something about it that's familiar to you? When you see how she responds to Jesus, do you think, yeah, of course she does because this is what Jesus has done for us. This is who he is. This is how he's come to relate to us. And that there's something in you that, that, that resonates and even identifies with. Because when you look at this woman, do you see her response to Jesus and find it similar to your response to Jesus? Or do you, are you a little bit more like Simon? Just trying to figure this whole thing out? That's, that's fine. That's fine if you're trying to figure, figure the whole thing out. This, Jesus is happy to, to come and have this meal with Simon help him understand who he is and if that's where you are then Jesus is happy to walk with you and help you figure out who he is and we as a church are happy to walk with you and try to help you in any way we can help you figure out who he is but here's the thing friends when you figure out who he is when you think that you know who he is and what he's done for you if your response does not look similar to this woman's then I would have to say perhaps you don't fully get it yet If you're lukewarm in your response to Jesus, if he's not of great importance to you, friends, look at this woman. She gets who he is, her great need for him, and what he has done. And she responds in kind. Are you responding in kind? If I had to sum up how she's responding, I would say that she responds in a, uh, an uncustomary way. <laughs> an uncustomary way. I say that because um, she breaks two big customs of that day, right? For those familiar with any of the kind of history around this, like first thing, like she, she kisses Jesus' feet, so she's touching, she's touching Jesus. And, and a, a woman would not be touching a man in public in that, in that day, not like this. That, would, that was, you know, broke all kinds of customs. In addition, uh, Luke mentions and Jesus mentions that she lets down her hair. She washes his feet. Letting down your hair in public was scandalous in that day and age. I know it sounds weird to us now, but uh, like in that day, if a married woman let down her hair in public, they would say that was grounds for divorce. It's wild, but like they'd say, again, it broke customs. It was very, very, very scandalous. And on top of all that, she did this in the Pharisee's house. Like the key rule keeper of the whole land. Like She's saying, Hey, I don't care. I'm breaking all his customs. I'm touching his feet. I'm letting my hair down. Why in the world would she do that? Well, it's because when she was wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, in that moment she was demonstrating that Jesus was the most valuable person in her entire life that this woman could not care less what the Pharisee thought of her. She walks into that room, and she is so enthralled with her love for Jesus based on how he has forgiven her, that to her, he's the only person in the room. He's the only person that she cares about. And so with no regard to what others thought, breaking all the rules of normal behavior, she lets down her hair, she washes and kisses his feet. Friends, did your love for Jesus ever cause you <laughs> to break out of your social norms? And kind of break out of the, the customs of the day? Like, let, me just, <laughs> let, let me just point out one thing. Just even on a Sunday morning. For us as a, as a, as a, as a church family, we're not the most expressive in our worship. You ever notice that? We're, we're not like, you know, raise our hands and clapping and yeah. And, I mean, I can hardly get y'all to even to, to laugh, and that might be because I'm not funny. But, you know, it's like you're trying to get some expression going here. As, if it feels like, I man, some of y'all, my guess would be some of y'all would be, would be happy. Like, I mean, you're, you're into singing about this very thing, who Jesus is and your need for him and what he's done for you. And you, you'd be like, I want to raise my hands. I want to worship. Guys, Forget about who's around you. Be swept up and worshiping our awesome God for what He's done. Break the norms here. Set new norms here. That would be that would be great too. Or here, perhaps in your conversations with your classmates or your friends or your coworkers, and you feel like, man, it's just always just way be way weird if I ever talked about Jesus. I mean, I just could never do that. I mean, it's just like it's just would you know break all kind of social norms. But like, when you're swept up by who Jesus is and your need for him and what he's done for you, like it moves you. Like this woman, look at this woman. I was having this conversation with my neighbor the other day and my truck had broke down a couple times in, in uh, February and he knew about it and he was checking up on it and I was moaning about how much it cost and all that stuff. But earlier that day, I didn't say this to him, but earlier earlier today I had been talking to God about that and just was reminded about how, you know, God did not spare his own son, that Jesus did not withhold his own life from me to meet my greatest need, my need for forgiveness. And that if I believe that, then I can also trust that he's going to meet my financial needs, my family's financial needs, and I was just really encouraged by that, and I've been thinking about that all day, and so then I have this conversation with my neighbor, and, and I just say, hey, like, you know, this, yeah, it stinks, man. I just spent so much, like, thousands of dollars on my truck, and I don't even know if that was the right decision, and yada, 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 but you know what? This might be weird. <laughs> that's what I said. This might be weird, and I think it was, but, um, you know, that's where my faith really kicks in for me, and just really helped, because, see, I, this is what I that's why I believe that man God loves me so much that he died for me. Like he didn't even keep his own life from me. That I could have life and be forgiven. And man, because of that, like I just like I just trust that he's got me. He's got my family. We we're gonna be all right. He goes, Yeah, okay. I could I could see how that could help you. I think it does, it really does. And then we moved on in the conversation. We didn't, we didn't belabor it, and I'm walking back home afterwards and I'm thinking, yeah, that was that was weird. That was probably weird. But I'm also thinking, Jesus is awesome. And this is true. And I got to just like talk about him. And friends, like, do you see this in you? And not, I'm not saying it all the time. Because in your life, when you evaluate how you respond to Jesus he who has been forgiven much loves much. She who's been forgiven much loves much. Do you see this? Do you look at this woman, does it ring true with your response to Jesus? If not, I have good news for you. Jesus is better than you think he is. And he's forgiven you more than you realize he has. And he relates to you by grace. So I hope you would come to know that. And that moved by who He is and what He's done for you and your need for Him, you would love Him like this woman did. Love Him in uncustomary ways. Love Him in sacrificial ways. You see that and she bringing the perfume and breaking it and that would have been very expensive and I have lots of things to say about that but I'm out of time and so I'll just say that she was willing to love Him in this like really sacrificial, costly way to come to Him without condition. That her love for Him reminds me of what Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3 when he says this, that but whenever, but whatever were gains to me I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. That was this woman's response to Jesus. Is that your response to Jesus? Jesus is showing Simon. Simon You want to know who I am? This is who I am. I'm the one you owe. I'm also the one who's come to forgive that debt. And when you believe that that's who I am, and you trust me for the forgiveness that I've come to provide, you will respond to me like this woman. Do you see this woman? Friends, do you see this woman? Do you see who Jesus is? Do you see your need for him? Do you see what he's done for you? Do you see this woman? Last thing I want to say is, Jesus makes it very clear at the very end here that she was not forgiven because of how she came and loved him. That she came to love him because she knew she was already forgiven. The very last phrase, very last statement, verse 50, she says, uh, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's her faith that saved her. Faith in Jesus, knowing that he was the one who had come to cancel her debt, to pay, to die in her place, to pay her debt. That was was why she was there. So she was loving him much because she first already realized that he loved her much. He had already forgiven her. As if you've never come to that realization today, I, I would hope that even now you would realize that. This is Jesus' posture towards you. He has come that you would be forgiven. Will you believe it? Place your faith in him, it's by faith that you are saved. That's God's grace. And at that moment, you're reconciled to God. The burden of your debt is lifted. And you'll respond like this woman. We're gonna end the service or end the message by inviting us to take communion. Communion table here in the front and in the back. There, it's open for anyone. You don't have to be a partner here at Midtown Church, but just ask that you have placed your faith in Christ. That you have believed into Christ that he has indeed indeed, canceled your debt. If you have believed that, then come and take communion as a way to even now reflect on the fact that he's the one. The one that you owe is also the one who's paid your debt. By his body being broken and his blood being spilled, that we could be reconciled to God. And let that move us in this time of worship to respond focused on him, not those around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace, your grace that we absolutely do not deserve. Thanks for teaching that to Simon, Jesus, and thanks for teaching that to us. And may it come home to our hearts. Lord, may any of us who've grown lukewarm in our faith towards you be reminded, even now, of your incredible grace towards us. You pay the debt that we own. It is amazing. As we take communion now, may you drive that even deeper into our hearts that we would respond like this woman did. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.